Hi, I'm Ben, your host for the next hour, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with the support from our friends at Virgin Money. The podcasts are recordings of our free meetups, which take place every month. Check out virginstartup.org events to sign up for the next one. So this week, I sat down with two of my favorite founders from the world of sustainable fashion, Becky and Hugh, partners in life and jacket making, the creators of Painter Jackets. The pair have used their experiences with the likes of Nike to start a pioneering clothing brand dedicated to their craft. They really take a lot of care over these jackets, as well as the customer service and the environment and how they're made. So find out how this cult favorite sell with their limited product drops on a really tiny marketing budget and how one high street brand actually tried to rip off their unique identity. And of course, we talk about those famous labels. It's a fantastic listen for any purpose-driven and fashion-focused startups. And now I'd love to introduce uh, Becky and Hugh, uh, co-founders of Painted Jacket. Here they are, and newlyweds as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And hello, everyone. Uh, everyone's everyone's piling in. We've got, I think we've got, here we go, Lissa and Claire and Sam and Io and Jeevan and Bianca. They're all saying hi already. So um, now I can see here, you've, so you've, your second name is now Painter. Is this true? <laughs> yeah. It seemed like well. the fairest way. <laughs> I mean, that is commitment to the, to the brand, huh? <laughs> But let, let's go back to the start of this story, uh, Becky and Hugh. Like, was it, did you, were you, you know, what came first? Was it, was it you got together as a couple or was the idea of the business formed first? How did it all begin? Yeah, well, the, the, it brought, everything happened very quickly. <laughs> we basically met then within three months of meeting. Um, we'd kind of started the business together yeah it's an amazing way to get to know each other pretty quickly yeah <laughs> that's, that's quite intense you we need to sit you down with flash pack i don't know if you know those no. uh, uh yeah rada and lee because they did it for it was first date and rada pitched lee no uh, the idea of flash pack wow and he fun. was the first date in 50 that didn't run away oh wow. my god so there you go. Now, I said I would do some warm-up questions before we get into the story properly. So this is very simple. Either or, shout out, uh, and we'll see how how you both respond. So here we go. Mornings or evenings? Mornings. Mornings. Hot or cold? Hot. Hot, yeah. Tea or coffee? Coffee. coffee. Oh, God. oh, wow. You really are on, online. Here we go. Uh, Canva and or Photoshop? Photoshop. Yeah. Same. We did start using Canva a lot. Hardcore graphics, next level. Mm. Uh, rent or resell? Oh, in terms of fashion, I was like, oh, renting's mm. our only option for the foreseeable. <laughs> yeah. um, rent or resell? Resell. Uh, resell. Yeah, however you want to interpret it. Um, bootstrap <laughs> or VC? Bootstrap. bootstrap. Uh, collars or cuffs? Mm, collars. collars. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not an easy question to answer in your world, but yes, collars. Okay. Um, and finally, are you hopeful or mopeful? Very hopeful. Hopeful. Good. Mopeful doesn't, it's not, yes. it's not a real <laughs> word, so we're not allowed to answer that. Good. You passed that test. <laughs> a little bit of differentiation. Mopeful, this interview would be just. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, right, we've got a work cut out here. Yeah. So so let's go back to that story. So you so within three months, the idea was born. And what what how did it evolve from? You know what was it? What were you looking at? We how did it become a first version? So, I've been collecting jackets for a while, 
Um, and you're working at a denim factory and product and yeah, a a company called Hyatt Denim in West Wales. Oh, you were at Hyatt Denim. Yeah, I was there for four and a half years. Um, so I would take all the scrap fabric, all the amazing Japanese denim, and just take it home and just make jackets with them. And like, this is the very first one. This is before we met as well. Yeah, and you did walk into the bar with this one. Um, it's it's a for small... your nephew, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, bring it, bring it back, bring it back, Hugh. So tell, <laughs> talk us through. This was your first attempt at making a jacket. Yeah, I love everything Japanese. Yeah. Um, so this is what they call kind of. It looks like a kimono. Yeah. It's basically a Japanese workwear jacket called Muranagi. Right. Um, so started there, and then when we met, um, kind of like told Becky about this thing about making jackets. I was like, why aren't you doing any more? That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think work had just been really busy for you. you know? Yeah, so like it's just kind of side projects. projects. Yeah. They get put to a side and it's like, um, I just found it really exciting. And I was like, well, that seems like a great project. And um, we were long distance and it was, I, I don't know, it was, it was an exciting way to get to know each other. I'd yeah. studied textiles. Um, okay. We met on a branding workshop. So we had a, we had a lot in common and we both, wanted to do something of our own um and we thought at least well you had one really special jacket didn't you that because yeah you bought quite a few and a great way to make a pattern and to figure out how to make something is by taking it apart and so you'd taken loads apart there was one that you just didn't want to take apart because the fit was so good and it's scary when you're learning because if you take apart the the thing that works so well and you can't put it back together again um you've lost the essence of what was so great about it so you'd left you'd, you'd left one and you'd bought it with you on that date in north wales yeah. and all my family tried it on and it just looked great on everyone and so i took it back and we figured and your out, family were like he's a keeper he's made a jacket. <laughs> he's, 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 he's got a great jacket he's a keeper and that jacket's great but that was basically yeah. the last one right <laughs> yeah so becky took it back to london with her and i was like I think cool. the, the next weekend we went on a day trip on a on a Saturday to go meet this old guy who is a retired pattern maker from Burberry um, and got the train out to meet him and we were sat in his living room with this jacket figuring out how do we make our first pattern mm. and it was it was just like week by week we'd come together at the weekends because we're both working full time and, and we're 200 just, miles apart yeah and we just figure out like a little bit more about how to make a great jacket and also yeah how to go about building a brand and and that... whole thing on instagram we didn't yeah didn't it's kind of like will this be a brand not sure but let's yeah. document it anyway because we wish that you could see kind of the like the, the behind the scenes of brands being built like we enjoy seeing that it's like the best parts of like the planet earth series mm. is the last 10 minutes where they show you how it was yes. filmed so it's like we love that stuff so why not share that anyway wherever it, this thing may come so in that as you did that and as you started having these meetings and weekends around design Mm. um we we was the motivation anything other than passion for the like the creative like creating something that potentially had value to someone or were you thinking more of like oh i'd love to build a business and run off into the sunset together and build a (laughs) successful brand in three years time would be interviewed on every podcast and startup (laughs) event Where, where were your motivations at that moment Oh, I think it's curiosity. There were so it's, many. It was just curiosity about how a business works, mm-hmm. how to go about finding a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we were long distance and doing something together felt like one way that we might end up in the same city. So there was like personal motivations to it as well that were totally not like massive business um, ambitions. Um, I think, what else? We did, we did want to make a brand, but I think we like, we started this Instagram account with, it was very much building in public that we were sharing everything that went wrong, every decision we made, even before we had our own samples, the vintage jackets we were looking at for inspiration and getting people to vote on things and really have their say. And it was, it was all very involved and, um, people at that point were like oh if you ever actually make this jacket commercially then we would i would love one and so this was the community at the beginning of the community building and when you say get people to vote how did you get those people onto the instagram in the first place were you deliberately using hashtags following other um find somebody and she'd like we'd be in conversation next thing she has their phone going on their instagram (laughs) account and saying follow (laughs) <laughs> only if they showed interest. Yeah, only if they showed interest. No, that wasn't. It, it mainly came from like it's us a, personally talking about it. Yeah, and then it's friends and family. It's very slow. Yeah. yeah we, so, what period of time are we talking for this sort of initial? Probably a build? year. A year. Yeah. A good yeah. year. Yeah. We. I think we figured out that if we were going to design something that we were really, really happy with, and put it up for sale on the day that we were finally comfortable with every detail, no one would no one would care no one would trust us that that would be a good a good piece they wouldn't know enough about it it would be far too late so we kind of thought well if we are ever going to sell this then we should be talking about it for a really long time so that people Mm. can build an affinity with what we're doing be involved and definitely trust because we make to order as well so trust is a huge element to what we do it's so fascinating to hear that sort of mix of, of imposter syndrome, which we all have a little bit, but also that kind of like recognition and quite mature awareness of the fact that if you put something out there quickly on day one, that's supposed to be a quality premium product, it's going to be very hard to, to yeah. get people on board with. So when you yeah. say vote, get get people to vote on things, what sort of things were you asking? There's colours, maybe some styles. Yeah, it was... pockets, pocket shapes. Should the pockets have a flap? Would you prefer a corrosion up button or a metal button? Should it be unisex? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's just trying to get people involved. Fabrics. Trying to get them engaged, like in ways that other brands potentially don't. And was it genuinely helpful to the development of the jacket and the product? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we took everything and just put it like, uh, use it. And I think that, that was a nice part because when, like still maybe like two years in, we were still asking people for, like voting these colors that we should make mm. and there's one we'd kind of ruled out and then we saw the votes <laughs> come in and thought oops okay that this, that's definitely gonna happen let's just bring that in and it's just nice to be able to show people actually we it's do, we do listen to it yeah you're not just doing yeah. it more marketing and purpose you're actually going okay yeah we should definitely do that yeah, yeah. fantastic and then take us from that sort of instagram community build to the first you know the first sale of the first jacket what did you do to get to that point and how did you decide like how you were going to try and sell it so it got to the point where as becky mentioned that people said oh where can i when can i get one or where can i get one mm. and that's at the point where we just thought okay if this is going to become a brand if it's other business um how are we going to set it up? Because having worked in the clothing industry, you know, it's like the second biggest polluting industry in the world. It's a huge waste problem. Um, 
when it comes to like offer production and... it was the most off-putting thing to even considering starting yeah. another brand the impact side of it why do we want to yeah. add to this mess and if yeah. we are going to start a brand we want to do it in a completely different way yeah so that whole year not only were we getting our product right but we were figuring out the intricacies of how the business model would work and mm. how we could do things in a better way yeah and it basically came to the thing of what if we did the absolute opposite of everybody else instead of having more and more collections always available like uh, next day delivery what if we went the complete opposite and did maybe three jackets a year mm. And at that time, we only had one. Yeah, <laughs> so we didn't have the next, next two. We're like, that'd be hyper growth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, what if we did three and each one was made to order? So they'd be ready in, like, after you uh, pre order your orders ready in about eight to 10 weeks. Um, it's a kind of an extreme, like, like um, variation of the current model. Um, it also came up because we have always wanted an independently owned business. Um, we, we both make terrible employees and we really like working for ourselves and we like to have control over what we're building. And at that time, we didn't really know what we were building. So we definitely didn't want to give any of the control away. Um, so we were working full time to kind of save up and save up and put all of our savings that we could into painting. I think we both put just under £5,000 each at the beginning, yeah. didn't we? Okay. And that's not nothing like enough to buy your fabric and your manufacturing it doesn't touch the surface. Um, so we knew that we had to make to order and we had to sell before we made and had to pay our, our manufacturers. So that was a kind of constraint on us that was really decided for us. And then we, we weren't actually planning. We, we, so on our first launch day, it was on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Because we were both still, I was living in London, he was in Wales. So it was the time that we were together and it gave us enough time on the Friday night to make sure the website was working. It was like really as much because of that as anything. Um, and we thought we'll just, we'll open the website and we know we've bought enough fabric for 300 pieces. Because like, that's the minimum order with the factories in Portugal. Yeah, couldn't do any less than that, which seemed frightening yeah um, and what sort of what sort of was this covered by your ten thousand pounds or no 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 right. so you, this was from your pre-orders that you had to do oh, it was just okay. fabric yeah 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 okay. um and so yeah we thought well we'll we'll keep the website open for a week and then hopefully by that time we might have sold 150 was our guess mm -hmm. and we thought mm -hmm. at that point we can afford then to place the, the order for the 300 pieces and we'll sell whatever else later. We'll know the size splits and the quantities and um, 14 minutes after we put them online, they'd all sold out. So we were absolutely baffled. We didn't know what to do with ourselves for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> no, I bet you didn't. But, no. but just, to, just to go through the process, um, so, mm. so you did the year-long community build on Instagram. What sort yeah. of numbers of followers and how much engagement did you have at that point? I think about 3,000 followers, but it might have been yeah. a lot less. It could have been half of that. No, yeah, it was between two and 3,000. Do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, call, according to the stats about you, here you go. Oh, yeah. You had two and a half thousand people signed up for your wait list for the first jacket. So does that mean that they had, yeah. they were on an email list or were they just followers on Instagram? That was an email list. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the wait list was also still being added to post post-launch if you like so if someone missed out on that Saturday and they were signing up to say I want one if there's a return and these are my my details and my size and my color choices 
So exactly. you needed about 150 from two and a half thousand to convert. Yeah. 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 And 300 did. And then we were sold out because our fabric was made to order. So we couldn't make any more. So. It takes about 12 weeks to make the fabric. So yeah. people are like, they sold out. They sold out. Like, how can I get, how can I get one? Like, why did you just make more? It's like, this is where i think the exclude the transparency and your exclusivity is like it, it sounds to i'm sure from your point of view it sounds very straightforward because it's your reality like mm. we could yeah, only so have so for most people sitting online watching any kind of sale of anything it's like well no of course they've got more stock they can get more stock if they want but when mm. you're actually communicating over and over again now that's it yeah people are like i think that's probably did you find that's the moment you you built sort of even more loyalty and anticipation yeah i think it was actually batch two yeah. okay because that's when we thought okay um that was maybe six months later yeah, batch two. and um that one sold out in three minutes and, and we were so scared whether it would yeah. turn out at all because on the first difficult second one, one. In the family and then you're like who's going to turn up for Who another jacket one. And then that's all in three <laughs> minutes and we had so much backlash it was actually really difficult because people yeah. were quite vicious because they, they think they thought it was kind of a marketing thing and a hype thing mm. and we're like whoa we weren't didn't think we could sell 300 so they're like why didn't you make so many more um wow so it's because it, you're learning every time and you've got no other data other than that one day back in May to base things off. Yeah. Um, but isn't that crazy that people got upset about not getting the jacket at the people making the jacket? Yeah. That's, that's wild. We spent the entire weekend recording because we had quite a lot of angry DMs and emails. We spent the whole weekend recording videos being like, hey, Matt, really sorry. Um, just wanted to explain why we can't just make more because the fabric, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. like, and people were amazing it was actually such a lesson it turned so many people around yeah like kind of facing up to something when it's not good not just when it is good mm -hmm. it was a really good lesson or ignoring actually. it is uh... lucky it's then. such an opposite experience that i think there's probably lots of founders certainly from my point of view where you're dealing with fortunately it hasn't happened too often but where you're dealing with unhappy customers who've bought something yeah you're trying to explain either refund or explain why you know their expectations haven't been matched or whatever and yours yeah. is the other way around. And I'm thinking everyone's yeah. sort of sitting here going, I'd much rather be in that situation. But it sounds like that was, you know, you, you what did it make you think in that moment? Were you thinking, oh, we have to change our model or we have to, or were you just thinking, wow, we can sell loads of this easily over and over again? Um, no, I think we've always been on that. We've never thought, oh, this is easy. This we can do it over and over again. We've our customers have actually always come to us and said, guys, you need to have more confidence in being able to sell these jackets. It's like it, they just. We've always been just super honest about like doing it. We like we don't want to go from three hundred to like thirty thousand or something like that. <laughs> That'd be insane. Um, and it would be insane because of because of what? Because of the pressure it put on you both as a as a founding team or or the environmental impact and the sustainability side or just like your motivations to go that big what where where do you feel that pressure to not scale fast i think um, after batch two actually that was the first time we realized that we did need to increase the batch size um because we'd mm -hmm. made 300 and then 300 again and then when we realized that there was a lot more demand we we then increased to 500 for batch three and so that we do we do 
respond to the demand, whether it's the style that we're making or um, the appetite for the previous one. Yeah. Um, and that will inform the decisions we make on the size of the next one. Um, but I think for a business like ours, where the main purpose is to not make any waste, then to make suddenly so many would be completely counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, and we'd be in we'd be in a tricky situation. We'd, so we we can't do it morally for that reason. Yeah, we've never had like the dream of like let, let's make this into a really big thing. It's like we love working with like small family-owned factories. Um, one of them like has fourteen people, and that's including the accounting and everything. <laughs> and if we went to them and said, right, we're going to double or quadruple our order size, they'd fire us as a client. They because, can't. Because because yeah. they, they can only make a certain amount at a certain, like they don't have timers or anything or counting uh, like clocks, like uh, calculators on their sewing machines. They may, they take as long as they need to be able to make it properly. Mm. And like to be able to do everything within you know, the eight to 10 weeks delivery and keep it exactly how we want. It's like we're, we're in like a really nice place where if we went and did it much bigger, you had to go to a much bigger factory where it's much more transactional see. in that kind of factory where we awesome. learn a lot from our factories at the moment and they learn from us and we learn to work together. It's like, it's more like mm-hmm. a, it's a good, really good relationship. Um, Cause you're talking with like the decision makers and everywhere in the factory where otherwise we'd be like these tiny fish in this big pond going, mm-hmm. will you make our jackets? And yeah. And, and it's a difference between a slow and a fast fashion business, right? Yeah. Um, I guess the business sort of critique of slow fashion is that, well, you're going to get copied and, you know, people, when people can see the demand, mm-hmm. someone's just come on, rip off your designs and yeah. off they go. And, and then that's going to kill you eventually. So what has that happened? And is that a threat? That's it's definitely a threat. Yeah, it's definitely a threat. It hasn't happened. Um, touch wood in a, in a big fashion way, because there's, there's so many high street brands that are so guilty of, ripping off important products to a lot a lot of small businesses and <laughs> misguided oh, sorry for saying that there's just so many um, yeah. it almost feels like it will inevitably happen and the things that have happened so far are actually been small businesses i think seeing seeing how we do things and thinking it looks quite easy and yeah. so taking too much of the things that are ultimately ours perhaps workwear launching it in a batch of 300 on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> has happened a frightening amount of times. It's quite an odd because we didn't make those decisions because there was any magic formula for a Saturday morning on a workwear jacket. Um, it's almost mm. like the worst the worst time to launch anything. Our customers tell us they're out with their kids at Play football. football. <laughs> um, and all of these other reasons. Um, which would mean they don't want to buy a jacket. It almost reminds me when I was trying to buy Glastonbury tickets like 15 years ago and I went into the office on a Saturday morning early (laughs) and turned on 10, you know, 10 old school monitors to like get them all like firing in the same, get the tickets. Um, So I want to dive into the brand with you and the story of that and how you built it. But before I do, um, Lisa's asking, Lisa from Noir Velocity, I hope to have said that right. Um, How did you decide on pricing? Was it the conventional fashion retail markup? No, we went no, with quite direct. Direct um, consumer kind of markup, a lot yeah. less than traditional retail, especially a lot less than luxury. Yeah, because we didn't have to sell it to, I don't know, Mr. Porter. We didn't have to, and there's the two of us. Yeah. It's like we were trying to build something smaller that 
actually when a customer received the jacket they felt that they had really good value yeah, yeah. we wanted something that ultimately we felt we could afford mm-hmm. um we know it is it's it's more expensive than high street that's undeniable but it's yeah. because we work with really really good quality ingredients and so we have to charge a premium and we never discount our factories or ask them how can we make this cheaper we understand that they're giving us their best price and we work with that um we i think we're, we're really quite scrappy in a lot of the ways we do things on the mm-hmm. business side um in keeping our costs super super lean so we didn't get a studio until like the end of lockdown and everything was working yeah. from home and it was the two of us until three months ago, and now we have some help on a part-time basis and by one fantastic woman. Like we um, have, we spent thirty-four pounds on Facebook ads for yeah. batch one. We're very, so we, we, were very we, we, we started it and went. Actually, you can't be bothered to do you, this. You, you do not need to do paid marketing. That's for sure. There's <laughs> nothing <laughs> out coming out of that budget. So if anyone does get their hands on a painted jacket or has one now like Andy, they will know that they you'll, you know, the branding and the logo, unlike you know, the cap you're wearing tonight, Hugh, is not you can't see it. <laughs> so tell us a bit about that because so much of fashion is about like the the, the name, right? And labeling and stamping. You've got the garment, obviously. So tell mm-hmm. us how about the design and how you fitted the brand into the design and the you know what you wrote on the collar and so on to to engage your customers so it kind of stems from a few places like one we don't wear clothes except for my hat that has ny on it and like we don't wear anything with labels on so that, with logos on so why would we design something with that it feels short term yeah um and it feels like a shortcut and um, we would rather instead of putting a big brand name on something we'd rather have to consider all of your details so mm. what make might make that a special piece for someone it's probably harder to sell something imagine without a logo on it yeah because people like go oh i'm buying because of the name but no one else can see the name on the outside so what's the social value in this because like you said if you buy something with a logo on it on the outside it's a shortcut for someone to say i'm wearing this you can see that and therefore i belong to this group of people yeah um you i think i should belong to this group of people um and we were like actually we'd much rather make classic pieces that are relevant this year as much as they are in 10 years so but we have more fun on the inside of the jacket yeah which is for the wearer so on a limited edition labels so our care labels that's where we have fun but that's not for everyone it's just for like the person who's bought a jacket yeah and so you had that phrase take care of yourself um written into the back tell us about that and tell us about the evolution of that phrase and how it had an impact we'd come up with that before we'd actually finished designing the jacket we like we just really wanted to have a a label on one side that says take care of your jacket and the wash instructions on the care care label on the other side it says take care of yourself and just some just a few nice pointers yeah some personal washing instructions yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, it, it's just something lighthearted, and yeah, that kind of just really blew up. Yeah, um, what happened? Who was it, Zoella? Yeah. Oh yeah, she did share. Fuck actually. Jerry, like so many. It, it was. We bad. did forget to put. Well, we didn't forget. We actually purposefully <laughs> decided not to put our our logo, or not just our logo, oh, but our brand name on it. So it, 
it really did blow up in lockdown and not much of that came back to us, which is also a lesson. <laughs> I remember on Instagram, I was like, you know, yeah, I remember, yeah the the picture of the, um, yeah, the care label yeah. was, was everywhere, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, I spent so many hours in lockdown, like viciously trying to like comment on these posts, like, please, can you tag and credit painter? <laughs> and people would take it and they change it, turn it into different languages or they'd try and copy copy exactly because they thought it was going viral yeah a friend of mine was actually in a design meeting at reformation and she said it came up on their screen as we're going to make our version of this and she put her hand up and said please don't that's that's a really small company that's my friends in the uk um but no doubt that yeah we we did change it shortly afterwards um what does it it say now each one is different so it might be about working on an idea or um we did a massive one in lockdown didn't we like the biggest curly we've ever done it was all a poem about sense of place and it was actually handwritten and scanned in so we just have a lot of fun with them and change them each time and it's that surprise and delighting element that so many brands force and it comes across as crass or naff or or forced exactly yeah and you seem to do this effortlessly when you're making these decisions as to what to write on the label or how to communicate is it is it like Becky? Are you coming up with the idea, and he's going that that's thumbs up or thumbs down? What? How does the process work? Oh, it really changes each time. Yeah, um, we'll often talk about an idea for a label quite far out, um, okay. and perhaps say, "Oh, when we work with like the next one, should I say it or not?" Mm, I don't know. Should I? Tell us oh, about yeah. one that already exists. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't, um, sometimes we have a theme for a batch. For example, yeah. when we did the apple cross jacket in 2020 um the theme for that one was creative resilience and okay. so like the that we give a brief to the, the pushing through barriers to get the job done yeah of, get the best work out of yourself and the... so the label that was designed for the um, limited edition label and the print that came with it was all around that and then so was the care label and it's like they all kind of link in people we don't tell people this we know this it's an internal thing but we try and just make sure there's a theme of something going yeah. on it's almost like little clues isn't it in a treasure hunt that people can pick up slowly over time rather than it all being shouted at them i love it yeah. um and then on the on the kind of branding and building journey, what's what's been hard? Like um, you mentioned that initial backlash on your second batch. Um, yeah. what, what else have been the real challenges over the last couple of years for you? I think most of the challenges are in the manufacturing space, um, mm. particularly at the moment, um, from constant challenges on timings. Um, we're hearing it from absolutely every type of business, like. Mm. My mum and dad run a garden centre and they are constantly talking about the delays in garden furniture. <laughs> and mm. we're talking about the exact same delays with jackets and it'll, and it'll be the same in food. Um, Brexit seriously didn't help, but then gas prices, electricity prices, all of that is all adding to delays and difficulties for manufacturing. Um, so the way that we face that challenge is then taking that information and, and educating our customers and still trying to keep things positive mm-hmm. but also having to be realistic because there's nothing we can do and we all have mm. to understand the pressures um on our manufacturers so we when we make a jacket every single week throughout the making process we have a friend Vitor who's over in Portugal and he'll head up to the factory on his bike and he'll film exactly what's happening that week with your jacket 
and send us an edit and then we'll send it on to our customers. So we kind of navigated that that long wait time and turned it into a positive so that people really understood exactly how mm. their deck is. And, and it's such a great way of, I mean, as Andy was saying up front, it's what something he really loves about um, following along and being a customer because mm -hmm. it, it, when you most of the problems that we have in life are because we don't understand or we're ignorant or we misunderstand. Yeah. And so, so being able to explain it and show, oh, here's why we're delayed. Here's why mm -hmm. we're changing this or doing that. And as yeah. long as you're, you're still being honest about it, then it's kind of like, okay. Yeah. And sometimes go. there's like some funny mistakes that happen. Batch two is a funny one. So we had designed it, um, the top pocket to have a little pocket stitching, stitching. And, and then at the last minute, we decided, do you know what? We're going to take the pen pocket out. We had had a lot of back and forth on whether mm. it was right or not. And then during production, um, in the factory, the one lovely lady who was on the machine who was sewing on the po their pockets, she actually had an old sample sat next to her to reference, and it had a pen pocket on. So we heard at the end of the day that um, not just did one or two pockets have pen pockets, but actually all 300 did. And we had already explained exactly why we'd taken that out. <laughs> the design <laughs> and, decision of why. And so then we just recorded a video to our customers. It was like tiny little things. It was just yeah. a little video to our customers to be like, we've actually got the pen pockets now. And everyone responded like, that's my favorite thing about this jacket now, because mm. they kind of, they felt involved um, even with the mistakes. And they have a story to tell in the pub. They're like, yeah, yeah. No, you see, you see? Yeah, yeah wasn't that wasn't planned. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's like so many people ask us, like, oh, how do you decide what to say in your newsletter on Instagram or mm. all that sort of customer communication? And then we just go, right, what's the truth? Always, yeah. And let's tell that. Let's not try to fabricate anything because people want to uh, support people. And if we're honest about yeah. like what's going on, good or bad, uh, we believe that they'll support us. And so if we tell them about Backups as well as I was saying, like the good things you do. That's like, oh yeah, they're human. They're not perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. You re you remind me so much of, um, or they remind me of you. Um, uh, Unplugged is this you off off grid cabins business, and and oh, yes. uh, they're doing this brilliant job. You think, okay, it's the same like you guys from the outside. Oh, it's the same type of jacket. I know they're differentiate, but from the like, if you're not in it, it's just like one yeah. at four yeah. times a year. They're like the same cabins and in the woodland and they're beautiful views. But but the content around them, like the way you're doing and, and what they do really well is they talk about the reality of, you know, what it's like to get these cabins live and the kind of mixed, you know, when they get an extreme bit of feedback and they share it. And and it's just, I think it's that thing where you sit down and chat with a friend at the end of the week and they're like, no, no, really, how are you? Not just like, yeah, yeah I'm fine, I'm fine. And that bit that comes afterwards, that second answer is your yeah. kind of content marketing strategy, and it's it's mm. clearly working. Yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Um, so. And let's talk about slow fashion briefly, or not briefly, slowly. <laughs> so this world that you're now very much part of, um, where how do you feel about it all? Because we see the headlines in the news every day about another fast fashion business that's uh, destroying the planet that's abusing uh you know mm -hmm. workers um that's that's lying that's cheating that's corrupt and it feels like they're all there's so much wealth do do you feel like oh we're on a mission to try and change that and but we're only doing it so slowly it's going to take 30 years or do you go mm -hmm. actually we don't we're just going to ignore that we're going to focus on what we do really well do you yeah. care about like what goes on beyond painter uh we don't ignore it because it's definitely it's definitely the enemy. The enemy is like the 
exactly as you just described and the, the, yeah the, the world, chains or whatever you say whatever you say the name the instagram hauls and the the vast amount of wasteful shopping um we also know that we alone definitely can't change that mm. but we can do a mm. damn good job at trying um and we think the more that we open up the reality of how something is made um the more likely people are to change the way that they shop. And I think the best thing we ever get from our customers is an email. And it, it's an email that get, get quite a lot when their jacket arrives and they say, actually, I thought, I was hoping it would be really nice um, because my friends had told me about it, but it's so much better than I thought. And mm -hmm. I really wanted to ask if you could, if you know of any other brands doing this for trousers, socks, shoes, uh, et cetera, because I don't want to buy in the way that I used to buy. I really want to do this for everything that I own and I want to know about the roots of everything in my wardrobe and that's I think that's amazing. the best feedback we ever get and even though it's a small scale if it does change customer behavior and people do buy even a jacket as a gift for someone to help spread that message rather than having lots themselves then it all does add up um and there are I think people's bullshit raiders are very very strong now mm -hmm. um so it's, it's not going to be a good time for big companies trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, so to speak, and launch a sustainable collection for 1% of their collection. When yeah, you see, you see that bit in the corner, that's conscious, whereas 99% yes. is unconscious. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love that. I love that sort of um, thinking about how you're shifting mindset around, not just, mm. I'm sure it goes beyond wardrobe as well, which is like, how? Mm. what else can I spend money on or, or how else can I live that's going to decisions I make last for 30 years, like this jacket, yeah. um, not just for the, you know, 30 minutes or 30 days. Um, or what I'm wearing. Of the, what is a sustainable brand? Mm. Because you think of sustainable brand and you think for some reason, hemp comes into mind. <laughs> All that like brown. Socks. Yeah. And itchy. And it's just <laughs> like, why can't a sustainable brand have the same kind of excitement as something like a Supreme and they have people queuing around the corner? Mm. So like, what if you can try and build that excitement around something that's slightly more sustainable or they do it in a sustainable way? Yeah. Like, why can't we try and do that? Yeah. And I think everyone who comes to like a small brands, you can't do everything. Like, you have to pick your lane, right? We're going to be good at this. We're going to really focus on minimizing waste. We're going to make to order. And we're going to give the best damn experience you've ever had buying a clothes. You'd be like, hopefully by the end of the thing, my God, and like, what have I bought? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just like, we kind of have to focus on that because again, it is the two of us and Esther and her help. Yeah. And, and I love that kind of reframing of hype for quality as, to, as, as opposed to hype for crap which is what we live we yes. live in a world that's hyping crap right rather than celebrating and really enjoying quality which is the story you've told so well um yeah. sam from from myo which is a brilliant creative studio for adults and, and play space in london wants to know mm -hmm. what a typical working week looks like for the both of you yeah. so how do you how do you work together i'm sure it's changing a lot but um over time but what does it look like it's so varied because we don't really work with any agencies and we only have Hester's help. It, we have to do all of the things involved, which um, it Probably could mean... A brain dump on Monday. Oh, yeah, brain dump every morning. Like, yeah. what ev what's everything in our heads that is 
fizzing away, stressing us, exciting us. What do we have to do versus what do we really want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll kind of go through those and be like, okay, so what should we do now? Um, is there a good time for that? Or, you know, is that a next week thing? Um, and then we'll put an H and a B next to everything or both. <laughs> <laughs> Decide who's going to do what. Um, I feel like it's one long conversation. Yeah. But always, we, we don't have very divided roles we there are certain things that will lean more towards Hugh is so fanatical about jacket details it's amazing like you could be still researching a particular stitching on a denim jacket late on a Sunday night because you just love it and it's something you've Mm. seen that was only done on a denim jacket between 1962 and 1964 and you know about it and so you're putting all of that love into jackets and and into products and I'm probably as fanatical on the people side of things. So we both have our niches. Yeah. But then a lot of the things like the narration and the storytelling and the planning photography, planning next batches, talking to factories, all of those things we share. Um but it might be someone writes something, then the other one edits. Yeah. And it goes back and forth, back yeah. and forth, back and forth. Because sometimes we, you'll have loads of ideas and I'll have none, and then sometimes it's the other way around. So we'll just figure that out. But yeah. I think what it's 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 reminding me of is in team. Obviously, we're not all doing this with our life partners, but uh, we are very close, aren't we? In co-founding teams, it's a bit like a, a different kind of marriage, isn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, it is it, actually just being com- just being open and comfortable with each other's like not just their interests and passions, but what they bring to the table. I think sometimes we're too quick in startups to say, right. Chief marketing officer, which is bullshit, yeah. by the way, because it's like chief of what? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, and like creating these labels, whereas actually let's just figure out as we go. And of course, over time, you'll be in a team, I'm sure, that's bigger in the future. You have mm-hmm. to figure out the roles a bit more. But so let's let's just as we as we wrap up this conversation, talk about the future. What's next for Painter? Um, there's a couple of questions coming in. Like, do you plan to grow and what does growth look like? Mm-hmm. um and yeah what's com- what's coming down the line um does growth look like growth look like um it's quite a funny one because the last two years have been so weird in like yeah. with the pandemic that we don't know what normal looks like we didn't when we when we went into lockdown we had no year being full-time to compare anything to so that yeah. was making it up as we went along and then now is comparing to lockdown years which are they're really, really different. I, I think across across category, yeah. they probably scale down. Um, we had we were really lucky to come through lockdown and to come through it well. We we're lucky that we made products that were very visible on Zoom, um, <laughs> and lucky that we weren't in the travel industry. I yeah. think clothing and homewares actually did quite well, because especially mm. with brands that had communities that were loyal and and kind to them, which we were. Um, so we're not really looking to grow this year. I think it would be unrealistic to try mm. and do that. We're more looking to stay afloat always, yeah. aren't we? It's just making sure there's like, I think there's a sweet spot to every business and we're just trying to find that sweet spot where we can continue to deliver the, like really good personal service because of a great product and a really great experience. Yeah. Like, because you always hear of brands when they, like they, they've nailed that. And then they get to a certain point where you start to hear whispers of, ooh, um, the product's not as good as it used to be. Yeah. Oh, this isn't as good as it used to be. Their, their voice is totally off now. Mm. Like, yeah. okay, let's just keep a pulse on like, where that sweet spot is. And 
I think it's okay. You don't have to constantly go up and to the right. It can go up and down, up and down, but around the sweet spot. Yeah. And I was just trying to figure out where that is. And of course, it grows with you, doesn't it? As the as the leaders of the business, so as you evolve and grow as humans, the kind of business goes with you, and that and the brand can shift with it, right? Totally, yeah. yeah. It's like I think we know. want to grow in terms of quality always. Yeah. Like we've only been around for three years, and with every single jacket we make, well, we're only on batch. We've just made batch eleven, so it's not actually very much when you look at. Mr. Porter's sale with like 54,000 items. Um, <laughs> we have, we, we go with every batch that we make and every factory partner that we work with. We learn so much and also with every fabric mill. So I think we're always trying to take the lessons of the previous batch to the next and increase quality more and more and more. And mm. I think the happier our customers are with their jackets, then the more people they will tell. Mm. Um, so yeah growth i think definitely has to look at quality and experience as well as just numbers for sure and for the future just constantly trying to educate people on how we work because because we understand how we work people Mm. with us for three years know how we work but the guy walking down the street the girl walking down the street right now have no idea how we work and if you start to explain it takes a while to explain yeah when you make like this time, if you have going to website now, you can't buy anything. Why is that? And like, what do you believe in? And there's a lot to communicate. Yeah, it's a challenge. Um, there's a, there's a, it's a quite a long time until you actually get into it and you realise, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. And people even people be this for maybe three years still don't quite get all of it, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've been with you for forty-five minutes, and I feel like we've got we've learned so much. I'm going to take <laughs> Sally Sally Fox's question as our last one, which is about. The influences on you so so Hugh we heard at the start you know background with with her at Denham and in your textile bra- background Becky that obviously brought you initially together mm-hmm. on this journey um but in terms of the truth telling around your content which is like a sort of strong theme I think from your story so far have there been brands that you've been very aware of or even people that have kind of helped you you take take inspiration from or are there are there brands today that you're like oh we love what they're doing and we just mm-hmm. admire them or we're taking ideas and Oh, might be more people. Wise, yeah. Like you see, people who really like can communicate so so well, mm. and you think instead of looking at brands that communicate well, because normally they might be big brands, and it's like, oh, we don't sound like a big brand. We sound like a human. We sound like us. Um, mm, yes. So like, let's take inspiration from people instead of brands. I think we all also always wanted to look outside of our own industry for mm. inspiration because. Um, our industry is full of people doing things the same way and we didn't want to operate in the same way. So we, there's all sorts of things at the start, especially like um, when you look on your phone at software updates, you'll see all of the um, design updates that designers have taken great consideration to make that uh, product or that app better. And so we would look at something like that and be like, oh, why didn't you get software updates for like a jacket? And so we'd make something called batch notes. And it was literally just like a stream of consciousness and all the decisions that went into making a product better. Um, That was one. Another one. And how did you, so on the batch notes, Becky, how did you then Mm -hmm. package that and communicate? It was just like in a newsletter or did you do it in different ways? Um, But then, yeah, it was like a newsletter would, would, Mm point people to the fact that that's been updated. And then we actually put it into print. Oh, we did actually, yeah. So when it came, we did it for batch two the first time. And so we put it all in print so people could see 
all the updates. We even mentioned like the day we paid our photographer for the shoot. Yeah, so random. It's just like all though. things that we would do. So that's in there. It's yeah. like if like I don't know when you go on BBC News and there's a football game or something live, mm. and you just get the constant updates. Yeah, true. and there's a timestamp, and it's like great. That you, you don't need much. It's not like in depth. It's just like does it happen? Yeah, when things happen. But it's again, it's this behind the scenes thing that people are like, oh, what's the truth behind this business yeah. or these people? Mm. And yeah, we feel closer. And we live in this influencer world, don't we now, where TikTok is the most disruptive media brand on the planet right now, apparently. Yeah. Um, and yet it often feels, at least from my point of view, a lot of startups and small businesses are trying to be this very polished version of themselves yeah. because they're selling, they're trying to sell a really quality product. And that's and, and they get stuck with this tension between we're selling something at a decent price point that, that is really good quality, but at the same mm -hmm. time, we we don't we haven't got the marketing budget. So mm -hmm. you've you seem to have found this middle path that works that works really well. There's, um, there's the thing of like uh, remember when we were starting up and we always see that right big brands are trying to look small small brands are trying uh, to look big yeah. let's try and look exactly how we are yes <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like if you could if we can try and hit that sweet sweet but and it comes back to like what do we talk about the truth let's just be as honest as possible let's not try and dress us up in to be really really fancy because if you met us in person we're not fancy yeah, giant letdown. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just like i don't know yeah it's just yeah so fi so final truthful uh answer then tonight if if those watching are like i really really want a painter jacket can they come to you directly and uh pay four times the price and get a guaranteed <laughs> sale we don't have any stock <laughs> and my mother has to wake up at 9 a.m on a saturday and buy a jacket and pay full price there we go you get they are they're definitely not tempted by the uh the, the old catalyst model <laughs> Um, it's yeah. it's so as I was expecting. Really, uh, you know, I'd heard about your stories through people like Andy and seeing, you know, seeing bits and pieces on social media over the last three years. But um, it's it's so much more engaging and inspiring than I was anticipating. Um, even though I had high expectations, talking to you both, and I, it sounds like your products would do exactly the same thing for your customers. So, thank you for giving us your time this evening. Wow. And and yeah, and, and this story will go out to, to more and more people who will get on the wait list and try wow. their best to get a jacket. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, no, it's a pleasure, pleasure having you. And I really hope that this slow, this slow fashion movement, like very deliberate, it catches on far, you know, much, oh, there's so many great startups out there doing stuff. Um, yeah. So we, we just want everyone to move in this direction for people and planet and also a happier life and this more stylish one as well <laughs> uh becky and hugh thank you so much for being with us and uh, all the best for the next batch thank oh, you so much thanks ben Bye. have a good Have's evening you. cheers thank you so much for listening to the podcast if you found it useful please share it with other founders and rate and review it online for tickets to our next meetup head to virginstartup.org i look forward to seeing you there